Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Doc Tales. I'm Kim Russo. I'm the director of AGLCA. If you haven't joined us for Doc Tales before, this is a series we do with some of our gold loopers. And gold loopers are anyone who has completed the entire Great Loop route. We try to bring in some of our gold loopers who uh, can answer some questions for those of you who are still in the planning mode and have some qu questions about different types of boats and things like that. We do this at the traditional Docktails time, which if you haven't been out on the loop or out doing some cruising, it's traditional that when everyone is finished cruising for the day to tie up at, at the docks or even at anchorages to gather together and share some cocktails, hence Docktails is its play on that. We do our Docktails with a T-A-L-E-S on the end because these are not only for a great time to enjoy some cocktails, but also to share some stories of the Great Loop adventures of our Gold Loopers. So the couple you see there with me today are Bev and Jim Holland. They are very recent Gold Loopers. They completed their loop last month. And uh, something somewhat unique about them is that they completed the loop on a sailboat. And I know we've got lots of potential loopers on sailboats who have lots of questions about how that works and what you need to do differently to do the loop on a sailboat. Um, both Bev and Jim and I are in areas with uh, torrential downpours. Bev and Jim are under a tornado warning at this particular point in time. So if they need to uh, jump up and head for safer space, we will certainly excuse them. We're all hoping that our internet connections remain in place, <laughs> but we'll do the best we can with these circumstances. So uh, Bev and Jim, welcome. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you for having us. Good to be here. Yeah, it's great to have some sailboaters with us and some very recent gold loopers. Um, for our viewers, just so you know, if you are typing questions for Bev and Jim or for me into the comments in Facebook, we will be able to see those so we can interact with you so you can ask those questions directly. We're going to start hearing a little bit about Bev and Jim's Great Loop adventure. We'll get to lots of details about the boat, but we've been finding on these that some folks uh, can't can't join us at the beginning or don't see that this is going on in the beginning. And we end up repeating a lot about the boat if we start off with that. So we're gonna start off with a little bit about their Great Loop adventure. So um, I, I guess a great place to start would be, tell us what made you decide to take on the Great Loop? Uh, it's kind of interesting. We bought the boat 20 years ago in Florida. On our trip from Florida back to North Carolina with the boat, we met a couple that were doing the loop in the opposite direction on a catamaran. And they told us about the loop. We were a little bit skeptical. Can you really do the loop without leaving the water? So over the years, we did some research. And then if people know me, uh, those who know me well enough, know that I tend to talk about things for a long time. And uh, before we finally get around to doing them. So it took us about 18 years to finally make the plan come to fruition, but we finally got underway in 2018. And you just finished um, last month. So of course you are a COVID era loopers. <laughs> did COVID True. interrupt your plans? Did you, you know, did you loop continuously from that start time until now, or did you take a break somewhere in the middle there? No, we, our plan from the beginning was to uh, break our loop up over three years. Um, we were on a sailboat, so it's not as spacious. So we thought three to five months at a time would be good. And then we could come back and come home, maybe work for a while, uh, stoke the cruising kitty, 
and then resume again the next year. Um, COVID did interrupt us. It, we, it ended up taking us four seasons instead of three to complete the loop. I do want to come back uh, as we continue the discussion and talk a little bit about the logistics of looping in segments a few months at a time like you did, because I know lots of folks have questions about that, too. But tell us what some of your favorite cities um, or stops that you made on the Great Loop were. We started out uh, knowing we wanted to do a lot of side trips, and that was another reason we decided to break it up into multiple years. Uh, with the side trips we wanted to do, we knew that we would get behind in the seasons. So our side trips, uh, first one we did, uh, we spent a lot of time in, in the Chesapeake Bay, but then we went up the Potomac River to D.C. Uh, we spent a week in D.C., uh, took us three days to get there off the uh, bay, uh, and then three days returning. So it was a two-week side trip. Same with going to Delaware. Uh, when we got to the Erie Canal, we went all the way to the west end of the Erie Canal and then came back to uh, the Oswego Canal to head north. So a lot of our, our I think the, uh, the Washington, D.C. was probably our first really neat side trip. Um, but D.C., Baltimore, uh, we spent a week in New York. Um, all of the big cities were awesome, and we're baseball fans, so when we hit the big cities, we also hit the baseball games. Uh, walked to the stadiums where we could, took the uh, Metro in Philadelphia to the, city, uh, to the stadium. Uh, in addition to that, then when we got into uh, to Canada, the Trent Severn Waterway was awesome, and in the Georgian Bay, and we'd rather not have left. Uh, we, it was very easy. Uh, some of our days, uh, and Jan and Dale will, will confirm this, we were traveling with a buddy boat. Some days we would pull the anchor, we'd travel a mile and a half to two miles, find another neat anchorage, and spend another night. So it just, those areas are just awesome, and there, there's so much history, uh, the history of, of D.C. and Baltimore, and then the Erie Canal was incredible, learning about the development of the canal and how it came to be. So, and similar in the Trent Severn Waterway. Yeah. And I think that's one of the really nice things about your looping style and those who decide to do it in uh, chunks of time, so to speak, or segments of, of several months of cruising at a time. You kind of have the luxury to spend as much time as you'd like in a lot of these areas. Um, you know, and I use this example a lot, but you can spend a whole season cruising the Chesapeake and still not have seen everything. But if you're you you know, kind of doing the one year loop where it's seasonal, you kind of have to keep going. So you have time to get through the Great Lakes and back out through Chicago in one summer season if you're going to keep going. So it limits a little bit the amount of time you can spend in places. So it's nice to hear that you got to do some extended stays in some of the areas. Do you know, um, you mentioned you, you did it over four years cruising, you know, three to five months at a time. Do you know um, how many actual cruising days you had versus days that you were in port? Wow. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure we could calculate it up, but we didn't have it handy. Uh, <laughs> no, nope, that's, that's I'd probably fair say uh, it, it was probably about 50%, I think, um, especially I mean, as I say, we did the side trips and then coming down Lake Michigan, we would spend three to five to 10 days in a port waiting for a weather window to go back out because we were so late in the season. Yeah. So. 
Yeah. Well, and I think it's also pretty unique, um, although there may be some more this year, to do the full length of the Erie Canal and also do the Oswego and go back through the Trent Severin. Um, you know, a lot of boats wouldn't have the time to do that. This year may be different um, because a lot of people were waiting for Canada to open up, which which now, of course, has done that. We've got a few comments for you from Brenda. Um, she is also a baseball fan. Um, that's another great thing about the loop. I like to tell people that whatever your thing is, you will find it along the way. So for people like Brenda or Bev and Jim who like baseball, it's um, certainly very doable to attend lots of games. And Brenda also has a question for you. She wants to know a little bit more about what you did while you spent that week in New York City. Wow. Well, um, we went into the city. We did um, cook in a, a Mets game. And we also went um, to the 9-11 Museum. And that was incredible, you know, very well done, um, very emotional, uh, but, but well worth the trip. And then we also, um, we also did a, we came back into New York City via the train and did take in um, a Yankees game once they were back in town. So. We actually took the, the Amtrak from Albany back down to the city to, to catch the Yankees game. And that's, I think, another thing that's kind of unique to looping is that most loopers are not going too far in one day and most looper boats are not traveling too fast. But, you know, you can be two or three or four or five days along mm -hmm. and it's still fairly easy to get back to something by car or, or public transportation for an opportunity like Absolutely. that to see the Yankees if they weren't in town when you were there. I usually try to I usually figure um, one hour by car is about one day for a looper. <laughs> so, you know, when I first um for us, it was probably really about a half an hour by car. Yeah, it did definitely for, for some us, absolutely. Um but when I first learned about the loop, my parents were loopers and they were um out in their their trawler and um early on in their cruising they were having trouble, you know, engine issues whatever it might have been and they had been gone for about a week and my mom was just beside herself. They were in some small town and you know, I said, "Well, where are you?" and she said I forget where she said, but it was, you know, less than a hundred miles by car. <laughs> I was like, I can come get you. <laughs> you're just, you're just right down the road. Um, and I think a lot of people, until you've looped, you don't realize that. So as far as friends or family or, or catching events like that, it's pretty easy to, to do when you have access to a car or public transportation. And we've got a question for you from Carol. She would like, how did you, she would like to know how did you know when it was the right time to start? So tell us where you started from and what time of year you started and, and why you picked that time. Well, we we started in April of 2018 from the coast of North Carolina. Uh, we, we had had our boat inland in an inland lake for a number of years. So we had to decommission, haul it to the coast and recommission. So, and our goal was to go to the rendezvous in Norfolk uh, I believe it was like the 2nd of May or something of like, th like that. So our goal was to leave North Carolina in time to get to the rendezvous. And our thoughts were, even though we were slow, we might tag along with some other loopers in the early part of the trip before they got ahead of us and left us behind. <laughs> so that was our motivation for starting in April, making it to the rendezvous. And I will mention that of all the boats in the, at the marina, we were the only sailboat in the group. Yeah, it's pretty typical for us only to have one or two sailboats at those events. Um, and, and 
when Bev and Jim and I were talking before we started, we were talking a little bit about the fact that they're on a sailboat. And the AGLCA database tells us that 9% of our members have sailboats. But I think the actual number looping in sailboats is significantly lower than that when we see the boats at the events, when we see those who report completion to us. But on Carol's question a little bit, you know, there is a somewhat traditional looping schedule, for lack of a better word, or looping uh, plan. Um, you can't be on the northern part of the route in the winter. Everything freezes, everything closes down, all of the, you know, you'll have no access to uh, marinas to tie up or, or fuel. Everything closes down. So as long as you plan to stay out of the Great Lakes, essentially, for the winter, the rest of it is, is kind of up to you. So Bev and Jim looped for several months at a time and then went home for several months over the course of, of four years. So did you two cruise mostly in summers or, you know, spring, summer seasons, or did you do a little bit of everything? Well, for the most part, we did. We were in Canada the year of the Illinois River closure. So we, we decided to stay in Canada longer as opposed to being stuck in Chicago, um, where we would get bored, I guess, if to say the least, but the prices were higher. And Canada was so pretty, we didn't want to leave. So we made the decision to take our time in Canada and take our chances coming down Lake Michigan after Labor Day, which mm -hmm. uh, the tradition tells you that not to do that, but we did and we survived. Um, so, but, but it was all good. Um, and so that's that kind of uh, we got to Paducah and uh, we actually we got to Paducah on Halloween uh, and we were greeted with snow and ice. Mm -hmm. So while we did mostly summer, there was some winter travel as well. Yeah. And a little bit more on Carol's question, because that is absolutely one of the most frequently asked questions we get. Um, you know, th that traditional year timeframe that I mentioned, we plan the AGLCA spring and fall rendezvous to be where loopers on that traditional year-long calendar looping plan would be. So in the spring, it's typically um, Norfolk has been the, the choice for the last several years, which is at the bottom of Chesapeake Bay, and it's usually the first week in May. So spring is usually when loopers are leaving Florida, you know, kind of following the warm weather northward. Um, their old adage, the rule of thumb, is to spend May on the bay, and that's Chesapeake Bay. Continue north. Um, you know, there's a few benchmarks, so to speak, you want to hit along the way. So for Carol and others who are contemplating when the right time to leave is, the New York State canals don't typically open until around Labor Day. Sometimes it can be later if, if there's been bad weather and flooding. So you don't want to be, you know, kind of rushing up the East Coast and arriving at the New York State canals before late May, because the canals might not be open and you would just have to wait. Um, you're then going to work your way through the Great Lakes for the summer. The old rule of thumb was to be in Chicago around Labor Day, as Jim alluded to. That really has changed a lot over the past few years. Um, the reason for wanting to be off the Great Lakes, particularly Lake Michigan, as you get further into the fall, you have more and more bad weather days, which Jim and, and Bev also alluded to, you know, spending a lot of time waiting on weather because they were a little bit later in the season. You typically, you know, want to be off Lake Michigan by late September, early October at the latest. By mid-October, things on the northern parts of the lakes will absolutely be closing. And by November, the, the lower parts of the Great Lakes will start to close. So those are kind of the rules of thumb there. You're typically spending, so you've spent the summer on the Great Lakes. You'll typically spend the fall heading down the inland rivers. 
Um, the AGLCA fall rendezvous is typically in mid-October off the Tennessee River. So that's just kind of another benchmark that we plan it for that time because that's where people will be. You usually don't want to be too far south until at least the peak of hurricane season is over. So hurricane season runs till November 30th. Usually you can proceed south by like October 30th, November 1st, um, and then spend the winter in Florida and perhaps the Bahamas. So that's uh, for Carol and others wondering, that's kind of a seasonal plan and that's how you decide when to leave if you're going to be cruising continuously for about a year. So hopefully that helps. Um, Brian is mentioning that he also plans to do the loop in 2024 on a sailboat with his son. So this is probably a great opportunity, Bev and Jim. So let's talk a little bit about the boat because you did complete the loop in your sailboat. It's a custom boat. Um, tell us a little bit more about or give us the, the specs, if you will. Our boat is a non-traditional sailboat, to say the least. Uh, it's an all-steel hull. It's a catch rig, so we have two masts, four sails. Um, for sailors out there, no winches. So it's, um, it's an old-school style boat. The beauty of it is it's a full keel, uh, which allows us to get in shallower areas. The prop is very protected. It's virtually impossible to damage the running gear. So uh, it makes it a very forgiving boat for the loop. You don't have to be concerned with shallow water. Uh, it's also a good blue water boat. So the boat can stand way more than what we want to participate in, in terms of bad sea conditions. <laughs> so, but the other beauty of our boat is that the masts are on tabernacles. So the masts lay down uh, you can either use the running rigging on the boat to bring them down, or you use a crane or boom truck, what have you. Um, we could also step the mass by hand in the event that it becomes necessary, um, which brings us to an interesting story. We got to uh, Bayport Marina at the end of the Trent Severn Waterway, and that we had arranged for the crane there to hoist our mass force to step everything. And we got bumped out of their schedule. So we put the word out to the other loopers at the marina. And on an evening after docktails, uh, after everyone had imbibed and had a good evening, at 7.30, we began to hoist our mask by hand. And 14 other loopers came to our aid and assisted us with hoisting the, the uh, mask. It was an awesome evening, to say the least. Yeah. That's, I, I love that spirit of loopers and, and helping each other out. It was it was incredible. Yeah. So it, it sounds first of all, you have two masks instead of one to worry about. <laughs> but second, um, you know, lots of questions surrounding that. It sounds like it's a little bit easier for you um, because of the tabernacle to uh, step or unstep the mask or do uh, do it manually in that circumstance that you had to. Um, tell us a little bit about where it was necessary to do that and where perhaps, you know, you chose to put the mask back up so you could do some sailing, even though you knew you still had some bridges to come across. So let's talk a little about, you know, where it was required to be down. Okay. Uh, we, we took the mask down for the first time at the top of the Hudson River uh, at Castleton Boat Club. They have a gin pole there. And I think we paid $50 for the first mast and 25 for the second. Um, 
so we 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 dropped our mast there along with one other sailboat that was dropping their mast, and then one sailboat that was was resetting their mast. They were headed south. So the three of us were tied up. We all helped each other. Uh, you pay to use their crane, but the club members aren't allowed to help you for liability reasons. So, but the first time we took them down was at the top of the Hudson. We kept them down through the Erie Canal, across Lake Ontario, and through the Trent Severn. We put them back up at the Georgian Bay with the anticipation of sailing the Georgian Bay, the North Channel, Lake Huron, and Lake Michigan, uh, and then had to drop them again when we got to Chicago, uh, and then left them down until we made it to Mobile. So uh, we, we could have put them up a little bit earlier, but coming down the rivers, you know you're not going to sail much, so we just decided to leave them down. Uh, in addition to having the tabernacles, when we take the mast down, we can lay the main mast right across the tabernacles, then lash the mizzen mast and all of the booms to it so we don't have to build cradles on the boat. So we had a little bit of an advantage in that we didn't have the wood cradles that you see so many of the sailboats for carrying their masts with them. So we were able to take the mass with us and, and not have them be in our way so much. Right. So you did um, put the mass back up to sail on Georgian Bay and like you're on in Lake Michigan, which we can totally understand why. A lot of loopers don't do that extra, you know, up and down because they, they do have to take it down again shortly after Chicago. Um, so from your experience, you know, did you see other loopers or other sailboaters going the same way who did not get to sail on Lake Michigan and, and Georgian Bay and Lake Huron because of that extra, you know, bridge they still had to get under on the Illinois waterway? Well, some people ship their mast all the way down uh, and they don't have their mast with them. So there were a number of sailboats that, that had no mast on the boat. Um, nor carrying one with them to have the ability to, to restep. Um, uh -huh. now, but as sailors will tell you, um, your best laid plans go awry because the wind is always on your nose and it's always blowing stink from the direction that you're trying to get to. So sailing when you're trying to reach a destination each day is a difficult thing to do. Uh, so even though we had the masts and the sails, we didn't use them near as much as we had liked to. Uh, mm -hmm. And we often use them as stabilizers to keep the boat from rocking so much, especially on Lake Michigan. Uh, it was more of a stabilizer than uh, than actual propelling the boat. Mm -hmm. Do you have any any guess, whether it's number of days or number of miles, any guess as to how much you actually were able to sail on the loop? Probably a percentage <laughs> somewhat so small that I'm embarrassed to tell you. Uh, <laughs> Less than 10%, sure. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, I think that's pretty typical. And you probably actually got in more than many because you did have the mass stepped for, you know, some of the Great Lakes, even though you were between bridges that required it to be down. Um, this is a question from Brian. He's wondering what percentage of time you spent on the hook versus at marinas, especially on the rivers. Um, and everybody's different on that question. And Bev and Jim, we haven't even touched on that yet. So I don't know if you tended to anchor um, frequently or not. So fill us in on, on what your style of cruising was pertaining to anchorages versus marinas. Um, we probably, 
I kept a log of you know days we spent there and, and costs, which is you know, interesting. But um, we had planned to spend about two you know, two thirds of the time at anchor and one third at a marina. It was actually reversed. We probably spent two thirds in marinas and one third in anchorages. Um, the rivers, you don't have a lot of opportunities um, to marine to stay in a marina. Uh, so we did anchor much more on the rivers. I might add to that, when we were in the Georgian Bay in the North Channel um, and part of the uh, the rivers, we had a buddy boat, which became our portable marina. And uh, and they're probably watching now, probably will have a chuckle out of this one, but we would travel during the day, we'd find an anchorage, they would go in and drop anchor and then we'd raft up to them. So for one whole year, one whole season, we never wet our anchor, even though we claim we anchored. Um, probably <laughs> half of the nights. So, because we had our little portable marina in terms of the little loopy there with us. Yep, that's a great way to do it. And uh, I don't know if this is your portable marina, but Dave and Denise say hi to uh, Jim and Bev. So, hi, Dave and Denise. Hi, Dave Thanks Denise. for joining us. Um, so, you mentioned, Bev, that you expected or your plan was to anchor two thirds of the time and tie up at a marina a third, but you actually found it tended to be the inverse, where two thirds of the time you spent at marinas and a third at anchor. What was the cause for that change? Was it difficulty in finding anchorages or was it the social aspect or what made you pull into marinas more than you expected to? Well, um, you know, sometimes you want to come into Marina to socialize with other loopers um, that you might be traveling, you know, along the same path. You might not see them every day. Um, and that was certainly fun. Um, we also spent, well, our, our driving factor is the size of our holding tank. So we would have to come into Marinas, you know, every four to five days at least um, for pump out and for other services uh, to fuel. We don't have a shower on the boat, so we would want to come in to shower. Um, at the marina. So those were uh -huh. probably what drove our, our percentages. First season was also driven by finding repair parts for the engine. <laughs> uh, the entire Chesapeake Bay all the way to New York, uh, we learned to use Uber a lot to find repair parts. Uh -huh. So uh, that, that we ended up in marinas because you can get Uber services there, which is hard to get from an anchorage. <laughs> You know, we did have um, a boat version of Uber here in Charleston for a little while. I don't know that it's still here, <laughs> but you could take the boat Uber to uh, a boat ramp somewhere and then take a car Uber <laughs> to get your parts. Um, we have another shout out to you. Rudy and Sandra say hi. Hey, guys. So hello, Rudy and Sandra. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> so, uh, Bev and Jim, did you did you share uh, the the boat and the beam um, and what kind of engine and those kind of details for us? Okay. Um, the engine, <laughs> that's an interesting one. We started out with, uh, with an old engine that was old and tired and I was determined that I was going to make it continue the loop and complete the loop, <laughs> uh, which was a bad decision <laughs> on my part. So when we got to New York, um, we left our boat in New York for the first winter and when we got back in the spring and went to leave the marina, we had multiple issues and decided to go back to the marina and replace our engine. So we ordered an engine. The marina was gracious enough to allow me to do my own work. 
And so I spent two weeks on the Erie Canal replacing the engine on the boat so that we can move forward and go into Canada. Um, and it, it made a big difference. I'm sorry. Uh, the, the length of our boat is 34. Uh, the width is only 10 feet. So, and pardon me, we're getting another alert here. Uh, and again, if you have the to length the safer grounds, we are understand. <laughs> well, we're good. It's, uh, we're, we're fine. We can okay. see it coming if it, if, uh, but at any rate, um, so the boat is, um, it's a 34 foot boat. However, uh, we have a six foot bowsprit and then we have davits on the back that hold a solar array to keep the batteries charged. And we hang from that our dinghy. So the boat really is 43 feet from tip to tip with everything assembled. So we found that not to be a real issue, but when we're, people were putting us on a wall at a marina, we tried to be forthright and tell them that we were really 43, not 34. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a pretty big difference. Yeah. Um, so having completed the whole loop on a sailboat, and we, you know, I don't have a number of how many gold loopers we have aboard sailboats, but it's, it's substantially less than power boats. Um, experience was different in any way from other loopers because you were on a sailboat? I think so. Uh, what, um, uh, well, definitely, number one, we're slower. Um, we would meet up with uh, people on larger trawlers, uh, cabin cruisers, that we'd see them, and then they would hang out for, at a marina for a few days, and we would catch up with them only to say goodbye again because they would take <laughs> off. And we were, we were trying to make on average about 30 to 35 miles a day. Mm -hmm. uh, so we weren't trying to, to run 40, 50, 60 miles typically. We did on some days, of course, uh, some days it's, it's necessary. But um, I think that's the, real, the only real difference. And then when we had dock tails and things, it was hard to invite a large group to our boat because it's smaller. Uh, we don't have as large a cockpit or as large of a, a salon as the larger boats do or the trawlers. So we weren't able to host as much as we would like to have. And it but also made it difficult. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it also made it uh, more difficult for friends to travel with us because our, you know, we're, our space is uh, less available. So sure. as much as we would like to have people go with us, it was inconvenient uh, for them, unless you're very, very close friends. <laughs> We've got another hello for you from Nelson and Felicia. Uh, they're currently looping and they're in Petoskey. So Felicia and Nelson, hello. Thanks for joining us. Um, we talked a little bit, um, Bev, I think you mentioned at the beginning that one of the reasons for looping in segments over, you know, multiple years and taking some time off between was partly because the size of your boat, or particularly the interior, was a little bit smaller than some. Um, so tell us a little bit more, if you would, about how that worked. You know, how did you determine where you would stop and start each season and then logistically did you leave the boat where it was and, and you know what store or dry store it or, or how did all of that work when you would come back home for a period of time but, okay. <laughs> uh, well we had a loose plan as as everybody says you can't have 
too uh, concrete of a plan when you start the loop. So we knew that we wanted to get somewhere around the Erie Canal area uh, the first season, uh, the second season somewhere on the rivers, and the third season, or our initial plan, of course, was to make it back home. But um, so having that loose plan, uh, we, as we got closer to it, we did start investigating and what have you. Uh, they were capable of hauling us out uh, and doing winter storage. Uh, we elected not to do the heated storage. Uh, when we were on the Erie Canal, we hauled out and had the boat shrink-wrapped and winterized it uh, for the winter. And then uh, we, the second season, we made it to Kentucky Lake, where we hauled out again, left it in a cradle, and covered it with a tarp. Uh, in both cases, the masts were down at the time, so it was very simple to cover. Uh -huh. uh, the, the third season, we left the boat in the water in Florida uh, with the mass up and a slip. So it was a combination of things and we found it not to be difficult. I mean, it just Looks like we've lost them for a moment. For those of you who are just joining us, Jim and Bev are in the middle of quite a storm. Um, in the mountains of North Carolina and are under a tornado warning. So it looks like we may have lost their internet. So we'll give them a minute and see if they're able to, uh, to bring that back to us. Um, in the meantime, um, if you have any questions for me, you are welcome to type those into the comments and I can see them and answer those for you. We typically, uh, this would be the Tuesday of the month that we typically do a Q&A in our Facebook group. Um, it's usually a typed comment-based Q&A. And we postponed that this week since we were doing the this DuckTales with Jim and Bev. Um, so while we're waiting to see if they're able to return to us, if you have any questions, go ahead and type those in. Um, and their internet has officially dropped. <laughs> so as I said, we'll give them a minute and see if they can come back. Um, in the meantime, if you're just joining us or if you are um, joined us late, a couple of things. Uh, we are chatting with Jim and Bev, Holl Jim and Bev Holland. They've already provided a lot of details about their boat, which is a sailboat. They just completed the Great Loop last month aboard their sailboat. Um, so they are sharing some details on what it's like to loop aboard a sailboat and some of the considerations you have to make for lowering the mast and then stepping the mast again um, as you're going under some of those bridges. So if you're just joining us and if we can't get Bev and Jim back, definitely go back and look at the recording on this because they've already, already provided many of those details about the boat. Um, few things going on with AGLCA. We are still at this time planning our return to in-person events. Um, that is coming up next month and it looks like we have got Jim and Bev back. We're glad the tornado didn't take you away. Oh, <laughs> Thank you. We switched to another internet source. Okay, perfect. Well, we've got you back. You're loud and clear. So, um, We've got a couple more um, little shout outs to you. Um, David and Deborah aboard Circe say hi. And at some point, um, Dave and Deborah, I would love to hear the story behind your boat name because um, I, it's a Southern term that we hear in Charleston a lot if that's the same meaning for Circe. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I love boat names. There's always an interesting story about that. And yours, of course, is Steal Away and it is a steel hulled sailboat. So that mm -hmm. makes it unique and different as well. Um, another high, uh, Jim, I'm sorry, um, the motor vessel Elaine, another slower boat, six and a half knot boat, is here watching. 
And Felicia's given us a little bit more detail. She's seeing a lot of loopers heading towards Chicago. Um, wants to know if there'll be concerns for dockage as they move on to the rivers. Great question, Felicia. Um, people tend to spread out for whatever reason along the river system. Um, some use it as an opportunity to take a trip home. You know, they'll, they'll set the boat aside for a little while and aren't moving it as much. Um, we have not seen issues in the past for dockage along the river system. Um, haven't heard of a whole lot this year where there were any issues. So, you know, th that's kind of a long way of saying don't really know, but aren't expecting any problems. Um, if you are seeing differently out there, certainly let us know so we can pass that word along, though, Felicia, and thank you for the question. Um, so, Bev and Jim, you were kind of filling us in on the, the segment plan and how you moved the boat. Um, you mentioned that you would go home and, and go back to work. Were you working all along on the loop or were you able to completely leave that behind for the months that you were on the boat and focus on looping? Because that's another question. You know, you you, you two are, are unique because you kind of weave in all different frequently asked questions with your <laughs> looping style. So that's perfect. Um, but tell us a little bit about, you know, whether you worked aboard and how you made that work. OK, well. I was able to set it aside. I'm a, I'm a CPA by trade, so I worked tax season, and when tax season was over, I was done. Jim cannot stop working no matter where he is. So, <laughs> so he, he did work, um, you know, doing consulting work along the way. Um, he actually left me in New York and went to a job site uh, for a few days uh, when we were in Brewerton. That so. was the first near mutiny. <laughs> So, Jim, you don't have to share too much detail if you don't want to, but um, can you give us a little bit, like, uh, I don't know what kind of work you do. Bev mentioned a job site, but is are, when you are not on the boat, are you mostly working remotely or is it a face-to-face -face type thing? And, and how did you adapt that to the boat? Well, it, when I'm home, it's mostly face-to-face. -face. However, um, I, I'm in the construction uh, trades, uh, steel, steel fabricating, and so... The jobs that were going on after once we were on the boat, I would stay in contact via phone and email, and I was still involved in the jobs, albeit not directly on site every day. So, and then when we were back home, uh, I would either be in the office or on site on most days. Mm -hmm. So, did you find any place along the way where connectivity was an issue where perhaps you wanted to be on email or making those phone calls and weren't able to because of the remoteness of some of the areas? Uh, I didn't find enough of those areas, frankly. Uh, <laughs> Great answer. We did, we did have some connectivity issues um, in the Gulf of Mexico, uh, a little bit in Canada, and some on the rivers. Uh, as you come down the Tennessee River and the Tentom, you get into some fairly remote areas and connectivity is, is problematic. Uh, mm -hmm. Not for a long time, but you know, in the, you might be in an anchorage that you don't have a signal. Uh, and indeed some of the, um, the intercoastal waterway on the East coast has that issue as well. Uh, mm -hmm. so, but not, not a lot. I mean, you might have one night a week where you were in an area that didn't have connection. So, mm -hmm. uh, and if we had, we probably could have invested in some other equipment that would have lessened that, but we were fine with it. And frankly, like I said, I I just soon be disconnected a little bit more. Yeah. 
So you started to tell us about some of your favorite cities right at the beginning. Um, and again, we're still taking questions from those of you watching. If you do have questions for Bev and Jim, feel free to type those into the comments and we can pick them up from there. But um, what were some of your favorite memories of the loop, whether it's places or people or um, specific um, sites, you know, sightseeing or, or tell us what, you know, brings back the, and sometimes the memories are the challenges, but what are some of the, the memories that talking about the loop stirs for you? Well, for me, um, some of my favorite memories are uh, the Pennsylvania Waterway and the Durham Bay. Um, we were traveling with friends. We were traveling with Jan and Dale on a little loopy. Um, and we spent about four months traveling with them um, and just made a great friendship. And it just, just so many good memories actually sharing those experiences with other loopers. Um, we picked up a Canadian once we got to Michigan, I believe. Yep. Um, Paul joined us. Um, his name was Clearwater. Paul on Clearwater, and he was on a sailboat. Um, so he came down the river systems with us. Um, so, you know, there were a group of us traveling together, and, and those are just special memories for me. Uh -huh. I tend to focus on the challenges. Uh, and in fact, in one of our presentations, uh, somebody asked us at the end of the presentation, did you ever have fun or was it always uh, a challenge? And, uh, but uh, uh, one story I like telling is, you know, we, we spoke about the fact that we did change out our engine in New York. Um, I did that work myself. So this is no, I'm not casting shade on the uh, Marina because it was my, my mistake, but we got the new engine in, we did our shakedown cruise and check out and, Everything seemed good. We spent a day reprovisioning and we left the marina. Uh, the first lock on the Erie Canal is about a mile and a half away. When we left the lock, as we powered up, the engine got very quiet. One of the downsides of having a steel boat is it transmits sound. So when the engine's running, it's quite noisy on the boat. And suddenly it got very quiet. And Bev and I looked at the gauge panel to, she said, something's wrong. I said, well, it got very quiet. We were looking at the gauges and the RPMs were good. The oil pressure was good. The water temperature was good. But then we started seeing smoke rising out of the gauge panel. So I'm like, well, that's not good. So I looked over at the companionway and there was smoke billowing out of the companionway. You could not see into the boat. And so I told her to take the helm and we're moving, of course, in the Erie Canal where you can't just stop. So Beth takes the helm. I jumped into the into the uh, cabin. And when my feet hit the cabin sole, they hit water. So not only are we on fire, we're sinking. So we have a issues. So one's going to counter the other. At some point, we're going to be fine. Um, but what I had actually done, as I learned, the smoke was not fire. It was simply, and the water was from the exhaust system. I had failed to tighten the clamps enough, and the exhaust was discharging into the engine room, hence the quiet running and the water and the smoke. So uh, it it turned out to be a, a non-issue, but for the moment, it seemed like it was going to be a lot worse. Yeah, that sounds very scary for the moment. But so hence I, I uh, some people I tell so many stories about challenges that I have been dubbed Captain Mayhem by our friends. Uh, hence <laughs> the shirt with the Captain Mayhem on the shirt. 
<laughs> We've got another hello for you from Happy Trails. Mike and Kathy say hi. They met oh. you on the Ten Tom. Hey so guys. Hi, Mike and Kathy. Hi. So again, back for a minute to the the fact that you kind of looped in segments. So you were looping mostly in summer months. Um, did you ever find that you were out of sync with other loopers since so many tend to do kind of the one year plan or based on the months you chose, were you frequently still in sync with loopers who were doing the, the one year method? I would, I would say we were out of sync most of the time, but there was always somebody every season, there was somebody that we had either met before or that we became close with. Um, the first season uh, we were at Delaware City Marina. We met uh, two brothers that were going north on a sailboat. They weren't necessarily doing the loop, but we ended up traveling together for three weeks uh, until we got to the top of the, the Hudson River. Um, coming down, uh, of course, we talked about Dan, uh, Dale and Jan, who we spent a lot of time with uh, in Canada and the upper part of the rivers. They continued on once we got to Kentucky. We stopped. Uh, when we came back, and we had also met uh, Mick Anderson. I think you know Mick. Uh, we, met, we met him on the Illinois River. Uh, when we got down to uh, the Gulf Coast, Mick was coming around again and caught back up with us, looping us. Um, so, uh, you know, he lapped us on, on, the, on the trip. Uh, so there was always somebody, and then we, we, uh, we, we saw – Dave and Denise uh, down in uh, Barrow Beach, who we had met in Canada as well. So, you know, it, the same people, a lot of the same people going around again, or we would catch back up with, even though we were out of sync, per se. Mm -hmm. And we didn't lose contact with those, with those same mm -hmm. people. Yeah. So... As I said, you, you've got some, some things that make your trip unique, and everybody does. Everybody's Great Loop is, is their own, and everybody does it in a different way. Um, but you've got the sailboat and the segments and doing some work during it. Is there anything that if you could go back and do differently, you would change about the, how you did the Great Loop? Wow. Hmm. <laughs> um, we didn't get to start our loop during 2020 until we didn't pick back up in Kentucky until, gosh, the first week of November. Uh, because of COVID, a lot of you know, marinas were, were closed, and we had planned on doing side trips in um, Tennessee. We had planned on uh, side tripping um, Nashville. to Nashville and, and, and Chattanooga yeah, on the Cumberland River, and we didn't get to do those things. Um, we were mm -hmm. late in the season by the time we started, so we needed to you know, get on down Florida before it got too cold. Um, and actually, it was already uh, below freezing when we left Kentucky. So, uh -huh. um, you know, we couldn't spend the time that we wanted. We wanted to do more side trips. Um, so that's probably the thing that I would change. Uh -huh. We could go back and do that again. So. Uh -huh. Do you um, think that you might consider doing the loop again to tackle some of those side trips? Or was this a, a one-time journey for you? I, I don't know that we'll do the entire loop again. We're certainly going to do segments of it again. And, and we may end up doing the whole thing again. Uh, because we do want to do those side trips that Bev mentioned to Nashville and to Chattanooga, and it's hard to get there if you don't go all the way around. <laughs> that is very true. Um, Dale's wondering if maybe a thing you would do differently is get a new motor first. Well, not a, 
the motor is great on the boat. Now the dinghy motor is another story. So uh, <clears throat> the dinghy, we would probably come up with a new engine first. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, I think if we were to do it again, there's a couple things that we're lacking on the boat that I would try to modify um, being an indoor shower, um, mm -hmm. larger holding tank, and maybe even air conditioning if I could find a way to retrofit it in. Uh -huh. <clears throat> for me, air conditioning would be first. <laughs> air conditioning first for Bev, got that. Well, so Jim, it sounds like you are capable of doing most of the work on the boat yourself. Um, how, for those who are, you know, out there and are thinking they want to do this, but perhaps they're not that handy, how did you, and, and it's, I know you've, you've had the boat for a very long time and that of course helps, but what are some resources you would suggest for those who want to be able to do some of the, the routine maintenance themselves? How did you gain that skill set to be able to, to maintain the boat and, and even replace the engine on your own? Well, I, I've been mechanically inclined all my life, so it came natural to me to do it. Um, but the other thing is we do it for budgetary reasons. Um, mm -hmm. There's always the option to hire staff at marinas, to hire independent mechanics. Um, but one of the other resources that I found are the other loopers and other boaters are, are awesome resources in, when it comes to how to do something. So, and in today's social media climate, there's a YouTube video for anything. So if you're stumped, go to YouTube, somebody did it and videoed it. That's an excellent point and it's a great resource. And we have lots of people who um, watch these things after we've done them on Facebook, we put the recordings on YouTube and um, yep, lots of videos out there of all kinds about the loop at this point. It's increased dramatically over the past couple of years. So absolutely a great resource. Um, as we as we start to wind down on our docktails, unfortunately, we do eventually run out of time. Um, you know, what are some of the pieces of advice you might have for people who are still planning, um, you know, everything from looking to the, for the bow to, you know, really deciding if this is for them? Any advice on people who are really looking to, to make those kinds of decisions and, and aren't sure where to start? No. My, you asked for three things that people should uh, should consider, and my three answers were go, go, and go. Uh, <laughs> just don't wait uh, for the perfect time because it never comes. Um, it's it's you're not. It's not like you're crossing the ocean. Uh, you're never more. As somebody told us once, you're never more than twenty miles from Walmart. So <laughs> provisioning is simple. There are. Uh, supply companies in every port. Uh, you can get you can get repair parts, um, and then as you said, nobody knows until they get out there and actually do it what your challenges are going to be or what what you need to do to make it yours. And you won't know until you go. So trying to have every single possible thing covered, you will never get there. So you just got to go and, and adapt as it comes. Yep. That's good advice. Anything different that you would give, Bev? Yes. Um, uh, I, would, I would advise to slow down and enjoy the journey. You know, if you can't complete it in one year or 13 months, you know, that's okay. Um, just, just make it yours. Go to places that you want to go. See the places you want to see. Um, also do side trips. I mean, there's just... 
there's just so much beauty in our country to see. And it's, it's just a completely different aspect, uh, visiting small towns and cities alike all by water instead of coming in in a car or an airplane. Uh, mm -hmm. It's just a whole different uh, perspective. Mm -hmm. and, th and thank you for that, because that is great advice. Where do you keep the boat when you're at home? <laughs> we now have the boat in Van, uh, Vandermeer Creek, which is just north of Oriental, um, North, Carolina. North Carolina, right off of the Pamlico Sound. Um, so we found a little marina there. It's it's an unmanned marina, if you will. Uh, so we're renting a slip. And uh, so it's, it's very economical for us to keep it there. And it's handy to get we didn't want to move it back to the lake because of the logistics of getting it out of the lake and getting it back to the coast. We want to be ready to go again. So uh, where it is now, we are two miles from the intercoastal waterway. We're ready to go. So and unfortunately, many miles from those side trips you missed. <laughs> well, but there's a lot more side trips even on the East Coast that we haven't done yet. So there are. Um, but yeah, it sounds like you're just about as far as you can be from the, the site. You're halfway <laughs> from the side trips right. that you mentioned. Indeed, um, the opposite the side. River already? I'm sorry? Did you do the St. John's River during the loop? We Is did not. Simply because the, uh, the lake levels were so high on the Great Lakes when we were there and the current uh -huh. was very strong in the St. Lawrence Seaway. Uh -huh. So we elected not to go out there. Uh, due to the fact that it would be hard for us to counter the current to get back. Gotcha. A couple of quick comments. Um, Felicia is thanking you for sharing your experiences and giving others hope to continue on. Um, and she also liked the idea to make the trip yours. And that, that's so important. And that's probably the best advice you can get about the Great Loop is that there is no one perfect boat. Everybody's is different. There's no time frame that is perfect for everyone. There's no speed to travel. There's no number of nights at anchorages. Um, everybody really needs to make it their own trip. So thanks for sharing that, Bev. Um, I think we will hold it there for this evening. But Bev and Jim Holland, new gold loopers, just finished in July. Um, and they have been to lots of our events. So it's good to see you both, even if it's virtually. Um, and I'm thrilled for you that you've completed the loop. Congratulations, and thanks for sharing your experiences with us. Thank you. Thank you. Good to be here. And we should us. we should have a shout out to our cat Storm, who did the entire seven thousand miles with us. So. There we go. Shout out to Storm, and I love the name of the cat too. <laughs> As you sit there in a storm this evening, stay safe. Um, and for everyone who has joined us on Facebook or who is watching this recording after the fact, thanks for being with us. Um, if you have questions about the Great Loop, the associations, um, well, you're on our Facebook. Our website is greatloop.org. We are always happy to help. Again, Bev and Jim Holland, new Go loopers coming to us from North Carolina. Thank you. Thanks to everyone who's joined, and have a good evening. Good night, everyone. Good night. Good night.